All right, welcome in everyone to week four of Gangrene with Goudreau right here on percolatedmedia.net. This is Goudreau here. And as usual, I'm going to go into what's happening around the site before I get into talking about the Jets game this week. First and foremost, four weeks in, I'm really enjoying doing this. And based on looking at my schedule, I think the plan, at least for now, subject to change, is these shows will be dropping every Tuesday throughout the regular season. Gives me enough time, assuming the Jets play. I'll have to look to see if they're playing a Thursday game or not, because that'll adjust when I record, potentially. But that notwithstanding, Sundays will be out, because I want to let everyone know a lesson I learned from Joe Beningo, who's sort of the, the, the old guard of Jets radio for the longest of time still does a podcast now. He had a book called Rules for New York Sports Fans. And one of them was, wait 24 hours before you start talking about a game. It prevents you from being overly reactionary because fandom and fan is short for fanatic. And especially with a lot of losing, as the Jets so often have done throughout their history, it makes it difficult to be fully rational and speak cohesively when you're just out of your mind. So I'm, I've been employing that and it's worked for me well in the couple of years that I've tried to do that. Cause I used to call in on another show oftentimes right after a game had ended and it was not the prettiest thing to listen to, but going off the jets for a moment this week on three men in a retrospective, we are reviewing birds of play and the fantastic emancipation of one Harley Quinn or the fabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. This is why the movie should have just been called Birds of Prey. Among many other things we'll be discussing on that show, we'll be talking about the R rating, how we felt about going back to the DCEU after leaving it behind, after doing Teen Titans go to the movies and Joker. Did the four years since Suicide Squad do anything to help Margot Robbie and the production team deliver a more quality product? For all those answers and more, be sure to tune in this Friday. In addition, Garrett and I are still working on the finishing touches for our tag team podcasting. I promise I'll have a more substantial update within the next week or so. It's just been difficult to find the time to fully commit to that at this juncture. Garrett's been away spending time with Jen. I've been in the midst of raising two boys. Uh, so all in all, it's been it's been a lot on our plates. So let's let's go to the Jet game. Because that's really the, the purpose of this show. And before I get into the game itself, I need to talk about what happened in the week prior. Because it was big news. Our baby-faced, hopeful franchise quarterback of the future, Zach Wilson, was cleared to play this Sunday against Pittsburgh. That matched the time frame that the medical staff and Sala had announced once the meniscus repair surgery was successful. If you remember, he got hurt in week one of preseason, so effectively we have not seen him since then. So it's been about seven weeks since he stepped onto the field. And he had his work cut out for him. But I think one thing that helped him was that the Jets found a way to beat Cleveland. I think that sort of, that win gave him a little bit of slack because he wasn't going into a situation where they were 0-3 and it was sort of a, a must-win game 
as fans and media analysts would lead you to believe. But more importantly, he was going into a game that looked winnable on the surface. If you look at what Pittsburgh had been doing in the three weeks prior, they were one and two. Offensively, they looked like they just did not have any kind of an identity, whether it was Mitch Trubisky, the the running game not being great. We saw some things out of George Pickens, their draft pick at wide receiver. Obviously, they still got Chase Claypool and Pat Fryermuth, but it didn't seem like the quarterback with Trubisky was making anything happen. And all the reports were he was on a short leash. How short it was? Well, our answer to that was solved during the game. But going back to Zach, he also had a bit of a challenge. Not only did he not played in seven weeks, but his offensive line was in shambles going into this game. The Jets are on their third or fourth left tackle because we had Mekhi Becton out for the season. Dwayne Brown went on IR, so we have not seen him, who was brought in to replace Mekhi Becton. And George Fant, who had been moved between right tackle and left tackle, he's now on IR. So the options were Connor McDermott, who sucks, or some kind of alteration to this offensive line, shuffling someone to another position. That's exactly what the Jets did, and they did not publicize that whatsoever, that Elijah Vera Tucker was going to play left tackle. That was a game day surprise, if I've ever seen one. But that made me worried for Zach because the last thing I wanted to see happen was him get hurt because he's either running for his life or he takes a blindside hit and loses more time. Because going back to what I talked about last week with expectations, I think it's very important this year, more than anything else, we need to find out if Zach Wilson is the quarterback of the future. He missed the first three games, but 14 games in addition to the 13 he played last year, that's more than enough of a sample size to make a judgment on if the Jets are going to continue to trust in him or look at potential replacements, whether it's in the draft, depending on placement, draft order, how these rookies look, are there going to be any veterans on the market? So the win total is one thing, but I I would rather know if we have our quarterback after all these decades of not having one mainstay to lead our franchise for a decade plus. And it's not like he has an absence of weaponry to make that decision clearer. Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, two tight ends with Conklin and Uzama, two great running backs. Yeah, the offensive line's a work in progress, but with Zach Wilson's mobility, it would not be as much of a deal breaker if Joe Flacco was still playing. Because look, regardless of whether or not the Jets win the game or not, I lean towards the latter because I could not see Joe Flacco winning this game, given that he is a statue in the pocket. And a lot of this game was Zach Wilson running around, improvising, making plays. He only got sacked one time, which was the most surprising thing. I thought that number would be considerably higher, but I am getting a bit ahead of myself. So Zach had some things going against him, but there were some things in his favor as well. Big picture, Jets win the game 24 to 20. And it was a game of emotions for me. Big picture, I am very happy that this team is 2-2. Two and two. I know that sounds like a tremendously low bar, especially for fans of teams that have been winning programs for a long time, but you got to put yourself in my shoes. The Jets 
had not been meaningful in October slash November for years. Our season was typically over by Columbus Day during the last, I'd say, five years or so. One in threes, oh and four, just made it difficult to fully care because we realized we weren't going anywhere. And while I'm not saying that the Jets are going to make this miraculous playoff run, because I think that's still absurd, there is something to be said for the AFC, which clearly has proven to be the stronger conference if you look at the the level of play and those kinds of things. But there are a lot of teams that are sending it two and two that people automatically assumed would be playoff contenders or lock up their divisions and some teams that are one and three. That's not going to stay that way, but it makes a certain amount of optimism because the Jets feel like they have a shot. They're quote-unquote in the hunt if you saw that little bracket that comes up towards the end of the season. And looking at the start of the season, when it was announced that the Jets were going to play the entire AFC North to open the season, possibility of being 0-4 was very much on the table for all the upgrades and all the influx of talent that the Jets have shown. That's been a tough division for a long time, and it's not like the Jets really matched up well with a lot of these teams on paper going into the games. But the Jets have been blessed with some slack. The football gods have finally turned their judgment in our favor for once. We played Jacoby Brissett instead of Deshaun Watson, and we were playing a Pittsburgh team without TJ Watt, the reigning defensive player of the year. So those are two massive breaks we got. Regardless of that, the Jets' two games have been on the road, and both of them have involved double-digit comebacks of different degrees. Week two against the Browns, it did feel like it was a lot of the Browns equally being dumb as it was the Jets capitalizing on opportunities. This one, this victory on the other hand, felt much more like a actual Jets taking the bull by the horns and saying, we're going to go win this game. It didn't look like they were going to do so. This was a game of all kinds of ebbs and flows. Not that I was surprised because I still have the utmost respect for Mike Tomlin as a coach and as a as a motivator, because whatever whatever the hell they call the stadium now, like I said last week, it'll always be Heinz Field. It's a tough place to play. The Jets are like one in nine going into this game against Pittsburgh. And I still remember two playoff losses in my lifetime in that very stadium. So I have no love for the Steelers. And it did my heart, much like the Grinch, it grew three sizes bigger watching the Jets beat the Steelers in their own building in front of their own fans. That made me tremendously happy. But what made me happy was how the game started and how the game ended. And a bunch of shit in the middle that made me upset. So let me start with the first part. The Jets were up 10-0 in this game at one point. The first drive, I've always said the Jets have... It's been a three-and-out fest. I mean, this started with Todd Bowles and Adam Gase kind of carried over. I was expecting some rust for Zach Wilson. I think you'd have to be stupid not to. He hasn't played in seven weeks, and he's still a young kid. He's, what, 23, 
22, some, somewhere in that ballpark. But he looked, in those first couple drives, he looked like, yeah, there was some rust. But he was he was hitting plays he had to make, and he caught a touchdown. First Jets quarterback in history to catch a touchdown pass. He caught it from Braxton Berrios on the Philly special, which is now being called the Milfy special, given Zach Wilson's tendency to hunt Cougars, or so it's reported. It's not been definitively proven. The Jets were moving the ball, and the defense got the Pittsburgh offense off the field on their opening drive. Couldn't tell you the last time that's happened. So they're up 10-0. I'm feeling really good. Then the shoe fell off, you know, the, the foot fell off the other shoe, or however that that analogy goes. Jets are driving. They're in Pittsburgh territory. I think they're somewhere not quite in the red zone, just outside the periphery. And Zach throws a pick with less than a minute to go. Jets are driving. They could have, at bare minimum, made it 13 nothing or 13-3 going into the half because the Steelers had kicked the field goal thanks to Chris Boswell. It was a terrible interception. But if I was Mike LaFleur, the offensive coordinator, I would have told Zach in the huddle on the sideline, whatever you do, we cannot lose yardage and we cannot turn the ball over. Run the ball, burn your timeouts because they had two left. Take the chip shot field goal, go up 13-3 to start the second half. The interception was terrible. It was a, it was just a bad throw, but I, I thought the way that it happened was not the smartest coaching strategy on the part of this of this administration. So instead, it's 10-3. Steelers get the ball back with a little bit of time. Trubisky throws a Hail Mary, and Carl Lawson is flagged for a roughing the passer, which gives the Steelers official extended yardage. And Chris Boswell hits like a 59-yard field goal, so it's now 10-6 at the half. You're still winning, but there's a huge momentum shift. And that momentum shift continued when it was announced that Kenny Pickett was going to be the starter for the second half of the game. If you're a Jet fan, we know this story all too well. Jump in the Wayback Machine with, with me. Baker Mayfield's first game was against the Jets when he came in as relief for Tyrod Taylor because he got hurt. Jets were winning the game. Baker Mayfield comes in, come from behind. Browns win the game. And history has a tendency to repeat itself, especially if you're a Jet fan. And it was impossible for those images to leave and vacate my mind, my, my consciousness. Because sure as we knew it, Kenny Pickett gets them back in the game and they actually take the lead. So they, they blew a 10-0 lead. It was 20 to 10. And I'm saying, all right, here we go. Time for me to go on the air and start, you know, kicking and screaming and and all that stuff. And the third quarter for the for almost all of it was ugly. Zach, this is where he really looked like he had not played in a long time. He's missing checkdowns. I still think he struggles with velocity on his checkdowns. Like he's throwing fastballs to his running backs on the on, on the checkdown options. He threw an interception that Tyler Conklin should have caught. Went through his hands. Someone was there to intercept that. I think it was Micah Fitzpatrick, who I have words about in a little bit. Kenny Pickett gets them back in the game. Like I said, they're up 20 to 10. Jets were playing terribly. But then Zach Wilson had the quarter of his life. 
orchestrating two touchdown drives in the final quarter. One 11 plays for 81 yards, one 10 plays for 65 yards. Jets are up 24-20. Eventually, Steelers get the ball back with like 15 seconds left, throw a Hail Mary. Kenny Pickett throws a third interception. Game's over. Jets come back and win. So they defied history and conventional thinking for the Jets. I don't believe Zach Wilson last year would have orchestrated this comeback. This, to me, looked like the, the kind of guy you draft number two overall. And it was wonderful to see. Because for me, defining a quarterback is how do you play when the game's on the line and you got to make plays. It's one thing when you're up by a couple scores and you can just run the ball through the clock. It's another thing when you're down and you have to orchestrate touchdown drives. You can't kick field goals and take a moral victory. He made some remarkably clutch throws. Final stat line in the fourth quarter, 10 of 12, 128. Threw a touchdown, but he orchestrated the one that Brees Hall ran into the, the end zone to, to get the go-ahead touchdown. There were some big plays. There were a couple third-down conversions. There was a fourth and seven conversion in this during those final two drives. And they they offset penalties, self-inflicted wounds that they have still crushed the Jets. That's still a hallmark. They got to get fixed. But there was an illegal man downfield penalty he had to overcome. There was a Corey Davis penalty on, I think it was blindside block. Those are things he had to overcome, and they still scored two touchdowns. I was so happy to see that, because to me, this is the kind of stuff, if, if he can put a full game together where he plays like this, we'll have our guy. But the question is, can they do this consistently? So big picture, we got to see more. No pun intended, because Elijah Moore played really well in the first half and kind of vanished in the second half. But if if this is the kind of stuff we can start seeing throughout this season, then I do believe he'll be the guy. Still remains to be seen, but given the fact he was coming off that injury, first game back, hostile environment, to, to put that together and overcome a double-digit deficit, I think speaks volumes. And just the energy of the players, it felt different with Zach on the field than with Flacco. People were hugging him after the game. Like His post-game interview got interrupted at least three times by people picking him up, cheering him on, rubbing his hair. It's good that the team is, is galvanizing around him. So he showed up when he had to. The, the, the first couple quarters beyond the after the 10-0 lead, like I said, it was ugly. He wasn't helped out. By the offensive line, and Max Mitchell, the right tackle, went out. So now, not a season-ending injury, but this offensive line, which is now thin to begin, is down another starter, which is unfortunate. But Zach Wilson's mobility is why they were able to stay in this game. He had to improvise a lot. He ran around, but he only got sacked one time. And if you look at his stat line, at least four of those balls were throwaways, and I counted at least three drops. So this is one of those instances where the box score and the stat line really don't paint the broadest picture or paint a complete picture. His wide receivers, Corey Davis had the game of his life as a Jet. Five catches, 71 yards, touchdown. Made all the big plays on those final two drives. Elijah Moore 
really energized the offense in the first half. Garrett Wilson had the big third down conversion. He did have a couple drops, but look, it, it is what it is. You got to get it fixed. But that big conversion is why you draft a guy number 10 overall at that position. What continues to be a an enigma, not to tie this into our Batman Forever review, is that Tyler Conklin has the most receiving yards by a Jets tight end in a long time, but he's got a ton of drops, and C.J. Uzama has been basically a non-factor. I thought because they'd be running more 12 personnel that we'd see him more as a blocker, but they haven't really been doing that. I don't understand why you pay a guy that much money and don't utilize him in the passing game, especially in short down, short yard situations. So I continue to be perplexed, but it's not the end of the world. There's one guy, though, I want to shout out on this offense who I think has been their best player all season. That's Elijah Vera Tucker. Last year, they drafted him at left guard, played left guard last year, starts this season at right guard because they signed Lincoln Tomlinson, and then he moves to left tackle for this game. No pressures, no sacks given up. Boy, is this kid versatile. Boy, can he do it all. And on the subject of Robert Sala receipts, there's some AVT receipt uh, calls that I need to make later on in the show. So I was very impressed given the short notice and all those things. Speaking of receipts, the secondary has been terrible, so now I'm going to shift to the defense, talk about what I saw. Defensive line got three sacks. Lawson, Quinton Williams, and Jermaine Johnson, the first-round pick out of Florida State, all had sacks. Quinton Williams was a monster in this game. He's really starting to live up to that contract. Possibility of being the number three overall pick where he's just a disruptive force. They stuffed the run. Najee Harris did not kill them like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt did. The safeties, LaMarcus Joyner had two interceptions and a big pass breakup that Jordan Whitehead, the other safety, intercepted. So it was a good day for the defense. Trubisky didn't do shit in the first half outside of the self-inflicted penalties that gave them those, those, those field goals, most of the second one. And you look at Kenny Pickett's numbers, 10 of 13, all completions because he threw three interceptions. But he also had two rushing touchdowns on basically quarterback sneaks. They were, I think they were like one to two yard runs. It's not like he was Lamar Jackson and running 30 yards downfield or Josh Allen, what have you. This was the most complete defensive game I think they've played all year. They got the big stops when they had to. They got the turnovers because they also intercepted Trubisky. So they ended the, ended the game with four interceptions, three sacks. That's that's a formula for success. If you, if you eliminate those dumb penalties like the roughing the passer on Carl Lawson, the defense plays like this, I'll start to buy more into Robert Sala in this defensive scheme. This was a good start, but you got to continue to make it better. Now we get to receipt time. I am officially going to make this a recurring segment on the show because I have a lot to say. I have a CVS length receipt of things I want to collect on. Number one is to Steelers safety Minka Fitzpatrick. After the loss, he did his post-game interview and he talked about how it sucks when you lose games to teams that you know you're better than. 
His words. So here's here's my assessment on that. Because I, I do have I do have plenty to say. Number one. Are the Steelers really that much better on paper than the Jets? I would say no. I think top to bottom, the Jets have more talent. Number two, Mika Fitzpatrick, he is the centerpiece of that defense with TJ Watt being out. The middle of the field as as their safety, that's his responsibility. And Zach Wilson torched the middle of the field on those final two touchdown drives. So Zachy Poo and company carved up the secondary in the fourth quarter like it was a Thanksgiving turkey. Under Minka Fitzpatrick's watch. So Minka, you really shouldn't say that you're better than the Jets. A, it makes you look foolish because you just lost at home. And B... Just take the L. It's in Steelers after all, you know. And to be honest, I hope Zach Wilson had a nice layover, you know, spent the night in Pittsburgh, and I hope he showed your mom a good time. If you're gonna if you're gonna talk that Bush League stuff, then you know, back it up on the field. So number two, second receipt I want to collect on is for Elijah Vera Tucker. Trade up to get him last year in the 2021 draft. Got a lot of scrutiny. People saying, oh, why are the Jets trading up for a guard? They could have gotten Rashawn Slater. You gave up a third-round pick. All this sort of, all this nonsense. Well, based on the fact that Elijah Vera Tucker has played three positions on this offensive line, all very good, you know, adequately. Versatility, you know, run blocking, pass blocking, he does it all. So that does not look foolish as a trade-up at all. So I'll take the receipt on that. Number three. I get that the media has an inherent bias about the Jets. Well-deserved, given our history, especially over the last decade. But the way that the, the, the so many of the, the game recaps and all that stuff just skipped over what Zach Wilson did in the fourth quarter. And talked about this game like it was Kenny Pickett's coming out party. That's all they could talk about. Oh, how great was Kenny Pickett. Oh, he earned the Steelers' job. Second part, well warranted. But the first part, through three interceptions. Effectively costing them the game. Jets still had to go down the field. But if you look at his QBR, it's not good. Whereas you look at Zach Wilson, he started rough. Or started okay, got rough, and turned the ship. We should be talking much more about what Zach Wilson did versus what Kenny Pickett did. Because even the Jets, they only want to focus on the negativity in media coverage. It's never when they do something well. Speaking of media, Brady Quinn and Stephen A. Smith I want to collect receipts on. Because Brady Quinn said that the Jets were going to go 0-9 before the bye week. But Stephen A. Smith said, you know, well, well, the Jets stink. No use talking about them. And he's a Steeler fan, so I get great joy out of beating his team. I think Brady Quinn is as good of an analyst as he was a quarterback. So keep your mouth shut instead of talking out your ass 
and doing the same old Jets. Because shit is changing. You can see it. The Jets have the most impressive thing about this win was not the comeback in and of itself. It was that all the plays were being made by the young kids. And for a really young team, that galvanizes them, that instills confidence that you can really build off. And for a coaching staff that is still figuring things out and have not won over the fan base, this is how you do it. And if you would have told Jet fans that we'd be 2-2 two and two after the AFC North to start the season, we'd all take it in a heartbeat. And they did it with two different quarterbacks with two road victories involving double-digit comebacks. Be nice if they could win a game at home, but progress is progress. So I'm I'm ecstatic. I, I was very, very happy that the Jets won this game because if they lost, it would have been a very different conversation. But they showed that these players will play all four quarters for Salah. That never happened with Todd Bowles. There were times where the defense just quit on him. And Adam Gase, the less said, the better. Because I don't, I don't think convicts would play for Adam Gase if they were forced to like the longest yard. That's how bad of a head coach he was. But he's got these guys playing hard. Sometimes they play a little too recklessly with these penalties, and he doesn't seem to be that much of an authoritarian. But he's got an identity where it's we're going to be high energy. He's got the, the catchphrases and all that stuff. So at least he's, he's building something. Is it going to work all the way through? Who knows? There's still a lot of football left to be played, but we shall see. Looking at the next four weeks, because I talked about on the last show that you can really break down the NFL schedule into quarters. And by this time, you really know what your what your team is for the most part. And I still don't think the Jets fully know what they are, largely because Zach Wilson didn't play for three game, three games. And it's funny how the schedule has shifted when you look at how it was perceived at the start of the year versus now. Because let's look at the next four games. This upcoming Sunday, they're playing the Dolphins. Teddy Bridgewater is playing the quarterback. You're at home against a division rival. A division, by the way, you're 0-12 in in your last 12 games. you got to find a way to win that game. That That is a... I don't like using the word must win. But that is a game you absolutely have to show up for, given the fact that you're playing another backup quarterback. I get the Dolphins got phenomenal receivers and a blitz-heavy defense. But with the way that this offense can get the ball to guys in, in space and just let them run, that's the best antidote for a blitz-heavy defense. So if the Jets can show up and play a complete game and be 3-2, and two, that'll buy Salah a whole lot of love, especially from Jet fans because we hate the Dolphins more than anybody. I'm not going to pick them to win the game. I want to see the full injury listing. If Dwayne Brown comes back, I think that'll be a huge step on this offensive line. But more to come. So that, that game... Then we got the Packers, who I don't fear. They're 3-1. and one. But look at the teams they beat. They beat the Bears, which they do like clockwork. They beat the Bucks, 
when all their receivers were hurt. And they beat New England by the skin of their teeth, who was playing their third quarterback, Bailey Zappi. And they still find a way to take that game to overtime. So really, am I supposed to be fearful of, of the Green Bay Packers? I'm certainly not. I don't care that it's in Lambeau, because the Jets have won. Their two wins have come on the road. And places like where Pittsburgh, where they a lot of teams struggle to win. Then we get the, the one game that I said they on paper that they had very little shot of winning when the season started, but it's it's different now, is they're playing the Broncos, who look like they're in complete disarray with a head coach who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And an expensive quarterback in Russell Wilson who was underperforming given this reputation that he has. So nothing would please me more than to beat the Broncos in their own building and go home to play the Patriots. That's our next four games. Miami, Green Bay, Denver, New England. I think it's possible to go 2-2 two and two in this spot again, too. Dare I say 3-1? and Because I don't think any of these games are unwinnable. We play Buffalo in November week 9 before the bye. I give them no shot in that game. The Bills are just on a totally different level than the Jets. But I don't think Miami is that far off. And I certainly don't fear the Packers' offense. And the Broncos look like they have no idea they're borderline incompetent. Their head coach doesn't know how to utilize a clock. Javante Williams is now out for the year. Tim Patrick's out for the year. And they got beaten by a Raider team that was 0-3. And it looked like the OC, the head coach, Josh McDaniels, was about to get fired. And if there was ever time to beat the shit out of the Patriots, it's now. I don't care who the quarterback is. Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, Brian Hoyer. Hell, they could bring back Matt Castle. It still wouldn't matter. The Jets have too much talent to get smacked around by the Patriots anymore. I'm done. This is the year you bury them and make sure they finish last in this division. As of now, they are. But you want to prove you're not the same old Jets? Beat New England. Split with Miami. Can you squeak a win in one of your two games against Buffalo? Now that Zach's back, there's no more built-in excuses about having your backup quarterback. If Zach's the guy, he goes at least 2-2 two and two in these, these next four games. If this team is what we think it is, they got to win two of these next four games. To be 4-4 four and four going into Week 8 and still be me- playing meaningful football, that's tremendous progress. That's tangible progress for this coaching staff for this quarterback, for this team that we have not had in a long time. So I hope they find a way to squeak out some more wins because the the Vegas over-under is five and a half. And the funny thing is when you look at the back half of the schedule, which we thought was the easier part, we're starting to see it may not be the case. So excluding non-division games after the bye, we're playing the Bears, the Vikings, the Lions, the Jaguars, the Seahawks. Looks a little bit tougher than I thought it would be, especially with what Jacksonville's been doing. But, you know, I look at teams like the Bears, the Lions, who have just a porous defense. Seattle still don't really know what they are. 
So I'm much more optimistic about this schedule than I was at the start of the year. But hopefully the Jets can make something work and play more games like this where you can overcome dumb penalties and your rookie, your shouldn't say rookie anymore, your young baby-faced assassin gets you the W. I hope that's the case. Remains to be seen. But based on how we play in this fourth quarter, they, if they keep this consistent, I don't think this team will be a playoff team, but I think they'll be one of those teams that causes another team to miss the playoffs, like those classic trap games. So until next week, when we talk about the Jets playing the Dolphins, I'd like to say thank you all very much for listening, whether you're a first-time listener, returner, Jet fan, non-Jet fan, doesn't matter. Appreciate you guys listening as always. Be sure to keep up with us on the website. And for the first time in a long time, I did the JETS chant at the end of the game, so I'm not going to do it to close out this show to save you all the embarrassment, but I will just say uh, thank you once again, and I wish you all the best, and have a good one.